Amen. Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me now to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning and verses 4 through 10. Our message series is called Lessons from a Growing Church. Uh, we're studying this letter from Paul to the Thessalonians and, and just to see what can we learn from this amazing church. Remember, this was a brand new church. Paul had just planted it, and yet it was growing by leaps and bounds. And last week, we started our series. We looked at the birth of the church. Uh, we saw how the gospel is absolutely central to the church of Jesus Christ. And then in today's passage, Paul continues to explore the role of the gospel in the life of the church and in the believer's life. And in today's passage, he particularly writes about the Thessalonians' response to the gospel and then the results of the gospel in their lives. And so as we study the passage this morning, we want to see how these two aspects now, okay, response to the gospel results of the gospel, how these relate to the whole matter of assurance in the believer's life. How can you know for certain that God has chosen you to belong to him? That's what our passage answers for us today. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm just going to read verses 4 and 5 as we get started. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we look into this passage today, uh, not just about the Thessalonians, Lord, it's about us and, and, and how we can know uh, about our salvation. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would indeed speak to our hearts today through your word. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today who's come in here today, they don't know for certain uh, whether they're going to go to be with you when they die. I pray, Lord, today would be the day that they would know and know for certain. Speak to all of us through your Holy Spirit now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Our message today is called Chosen by God. And that's because our passage today deals with a challenging doctrine in Scripture that we call election. The doctrine of election is an important doctrine throughout all of Scripture. and There's a mystery to this doctrine, okay? We don't understand all of it, but the Scriptures clearly teach us that God chose you for salvation. If you're a believer, God chose you for salvation before you were born, before he even created the world. And the doctrine of election brings us great assurance of salvation. Because let's face it, if God chose you for salvation before he even created the world, then your salvation in him is absolutely secure. We sometimes wonder, well, why did God choose us for salvation? I, well, I can tell you why he didn't. Okay, the Bible makes it clear God did not choose us because of any good works we might have done or because we were somehow better than others. That, that has nothing to do with it. In fact, the only reason the scriptures ever give us why God chose us is God's love for us. Why did God choose us for salvation? Because he loves us. I like the way one person put it. God chose us because he loves us. 
And he loves us because he loves us. <laughs> okay, I mean, that's what it all goes back to, God's love. It's that simple. But this morning, what we want to focus on is not so much why God chose us. That's a different message for a different day. But rather, how can we know it? How can we know that God has chosen us for salvation? It is a vitally important question. What could be more important than knowing whether or not you are saved? Than knowing whether or not you are going to spend eternity with God in heaven? And if your salvation is mysteriously wrapped up in God's electing power before the creation of the world, then the most important question you can ever answer is this. How can you know if God has chosen you for salvation? Now, Paul says this in verse 4. We just read it. He says, brothers loved by God, we know. We know that he has chosen you. And you might say, well, Paul, how do you know that? Doesn't only God know who he's chosen? And yes, the scripture says the Lord knows those who are his. And so, yes, it is a secret belonging to God as to who he's chosen, but that secret becomes known as the gospel goes forth and works its power. God's election takes place in the past, but it reveals itself in the present through the working of the gospel. And in our passage today, Paul gives us Two reasons, two ways we can know that God has chosen us. And they both have to do with the gospel. It has to do with your response to the gospel and the results of the gospel. How do you know if God has chosen you? Can you can know by how you respond to the gospel and then also by the results of the gospel in your life. So that's all introduction. Let's get started. There's an outline in your worship guide. I'd encourage you to take that out. Uh, to follow along, maybe jot down some notes, and you'll see the first thing we're going to look at is your response to the gospel. And Paul teaches us here through the word of God, you know that God has chosen you when you respond to the gospel, two things, in faith and with joy. Let's look at those now. First, there is the response of faith. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 4 and 5. Paul writes, brothers, loved by God, We know that God has chosen you. Why? Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Paul is speaking here of a believing response to the gospel. You know that God has chosen you when you respond to the gospel in faith. Because let's face it, not everyone responds to the gospel in faith, do they? Sometimes the gospel is preached. Someone says, that's not for me. I don't believe that. I've got my own life to live, right? Not everyone responds in faith. Remember the parable of the sower? The sower goes out to sow the seed. Only some of the seed grows, right? The seed that falls in the good soil. The seed represents the gospel. The soil represents our hearts. Not everyone responds to the gospel in the same way. Paul says, hey, when the gospel came to you, Thessalonians, it wasn't just words. Paul says, no, it came with power. It came with the Holy Spirit. It came with deep conviction in your hearts. Power here refers to the saving power of God triggered by the sharing of the gospel. And apart from this power, no one would ever be saved. No 
one would ever come to Christ on their own. Jesus said it himself, John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. This is the same power Paul spoke about when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Paul says the gospel also came with the Holy Spirit. Well, what's the Holy Spirit's role in all this? The Holy Spirit calls, convicts, breathes new life into a person. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 5, he said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. And then Paul says the, the gospel came to them with deep conviction. And this deep conviction is a profound assurance given by the Holy Spirit concerning the truth of the gospel and your new standing in Christ. And when God saves you, you have this conviction deep in your heart that God is your father now, that all your sins have been forgiven, that you are a new creation in Christ, that you now belong to God and to God's people for all of eternity. And so when the gospel comes to you this way, not just with words, okay, not just words, but with power, the Holy Spirit, deep conviction, what happens? You hear the message and you believe. That's the first way. You know God has chosen you when you respond to the gospel in faith. Now, another sign that God has chosen you is when you respond to the gospel with Joy, that's what Paul says next, right? Uh, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at the end of verse 5 now, and I will read all the way through verse 7. You know how we lived among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul says, you know how we lived among you. And they did. They knew of Paul's love and his sacrifice, his unselfishness. But you know what they also knew? They knew of Paul's joy, of his joy in Christ. Remember what we said last week? Paul had just come from the city of Philippi, planted a church there. You know what else had happened in Philippi? Paul and Silas had been stripped, beaten, flogged and thrown into prison for their faith. And what did they do that night as they were locked into that inner cell, their feet fastened in stocks? They praised God. They rejoiced. They sang hymns. Later on, Paul would write to those same Philippian believers from a different prison cell. Paul spent a lot of time in jail. He'd write to them from another prison cell saying, Rejoice! Rejoice in the Lord always! I'll say it again, rejoice! Paul brought a testimony of joy to the Thessalonians even in the midst of persecution. This was a testimony that Paul learned from where? From Jesus, right? Hebrews 12, 2 says this about Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And Paul says, you became imitators of us and the Lord, of Paul and Jesus. Why? Because Paul and Jesus both gave a testimony of joy in the midst of suffering. Now, this is the second reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, in just a couple verses, we've saw, we saw in our series earlier this summer, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, right? It's a result of conversion. 
When a person is saved, there is rejoicing in heaven among the angels. There's joy on earth among God's people. But you know what? There's also joy in you, joy in your heart. Salvation is all about rejoicing. Psalm 35, 9 says, My soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. The two go together. Psalm 40, 16 says, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you, and may those who love your salvation always say the Lord be exalted. One more, Psalm 95, 1. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. The scriptures know nothing about a joyless salvation. It does not exist. And what was truly remarkable about the Thessalonians and their joy is they were being persecuted. Remember, we saw this last week. As soon as they came to faith, the persecution started. You see, conversion to Christ comes with a cost. And yet the Thessalonians welcomed the message of the gospel with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can give you joy in the midst of trial. Remember our fruit of the Spirit? Happiness depends on circumstances. Joy transcends your circumstances. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our counselor, giver of peace, giver of joy. And Paul says, Thessalonians, you became a model to the other believers all over Macedonia and Achaia. Notice the progression here. See how this happens? Jesus was the model for Paul, right? Then Paul was the model for the Thessalonians. And now the Thessalonians are the model to the others in their region. And this is a big region, Macedonia and Achaia. That's a lot of territory. Macedonia was up in the northeast section of Greece. It included the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Achaia. That region was in, uh, directly south. It included the cities of Corinth and Athens. Uh, this whole area is several hundred miles long from north to south. It contained every single church that Paul established on his second missionary journey. And the Thessalonians are an example to all of them. To all of them. What a wonderful church this is. An example of remaining strong and rejoicing even under persecution. You know that God has chosen you when you respond to the gospel in faith and with great joy. Yes, you are saved by faith, but true faith is always accompanied by joy. If you make a profession of faith in Christ without any sense of joy in your heart, then either you, you really don't understand the gospel, okay? You don't, don't understand what God just did for you, or you don't really believe. It's not enough just to believe with your mind. You need to believe in your heart. And so a believing, joyful response to the gospel, that's your first part of knowing whether God has chosen you. For salvation. That's just the first part of the test. See, you must look not only to your response to the gospel, you also need to look at the results of the gospel in your life. And in verses 8 through 10 now, Paul tells us two results of the gospel which take place in every person who has truly placed their faith in Christ. Number one, there is a verbal witness to Christ in your life. Number two, there are life changes which bear testimony to your faith in Christ. Let's look at each of these now. First, you know that God has chosen you when the gospel results in verbal witness to Christ in your life. Look at verse 8. 
Paul writes, the Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. And so the Thessalonian church, they were not only an example to other believers in, in their area, they were actively spreading the gospel in the surrounding regions as well. They were giving verbal witness to Christ in their lives. True faith will always speak out. It's not a matter of personality or style. It's simply a matter of sharing with others the joy of your salvation. Christ saved you, and you want to tell other people the good news is too good to keep to yourself. And Paul says about the Thessalonians, he says, your message rang out. It rang out. And the word that's translated rang out here, it's a word that means resounded. Or sounded forth. It was sometimes used of thunder rolling around the mountains or the loud sound of a, a trumpet blast. And so Paul is, is saying, you know, that the Lord's message sounded forth from the gospel, sounded forth like a trumpet. It resounded like thunder in their community. In other words, the Thessalonian church was making some noise with the gospel, right? And isn't that what God wants us to do? He wants us, Plantation Community Church, we need to be making some noise in our community with the gospel. There are people all around you every day who are spiritually dying and they need Jesus. They need the gospel. They need you to share with them. They need, they're dying and they need spiritual mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. You go, what in the world is that? That's when you share the gospel from your mouth to them. You share the gospel one-on-one. You say, well, what do I share? What do I tell them? Just tell them what you know. Just share what you know. Tell them that God loves them. Tell them that God sent his son Jesus to die for them, that they might be saved. That's it. You speak the truth in love. That's the first result. When you truly believe in Jesus, you tell other people. You know that God has chosen you when the gospel results in verbal witness to Christ in your life. And then there's a second result too, Paul says, and that's when the gospel results in life changes which bear testimony to your faith in Christ. True faith in Christ always bears fruit for God. So we're going to finish off the passage now, the rest of verse 8 down through verse 10. Paul writes, your faith in God has become known everywhere. We do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And so for the Thessalonians, the testimony of their lives matched their verbal witness, right? Their walk matched their talk. And the story of their faith was traveling faster than an internet rumor, okay? I mean, it's getting out there. Paul was receiving reports even outside of that region of Macedonia and Achaia. Their faith in God was becoming known everywhere. Remember what we learned about Thessalonica last week? This was a port city. This was the capital of Macedonia. There was a major trade route. People were coming and going. They heard about the Thessalonians, and word was spreading, Remember the riot last week, the persecution? We go, oh, what a terrible thing, that riot. We wish that hadn't happened. Well, you know what? God may have been using that riot to draw more attention to this struggling church. And if so, then God used it for good, 
as he always does. We never pray for persecution. We never say, God, please persecute us. For the, you know, we don't want that, right? But you know, God often uses persecution to make his church strong and to spread the gospel even further. That's what happened at Thessalonica. Paul says, your faith has become so well known, we don't need to say a word. I like the way the Jerusalem Bible translates this. We do not need to tell other people because other people tell us. <laughs> In other words, they're witnessing to Paul about the Thessalonians. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the people in our community were talking about our church in such positive ways, if they were talking about our faith so much that we didn't really need to say anything about it, they already knew. And that's what Paul's saying to the Thessalonians. He's saying, we don't need to say anything about you. He says, by the time we get there, it's already old news. He says, the message is traveling faster than we are, and people tell us all about you. And what do they say? They, say, they talk about these radical life changes which have come about in your life as a result of the gospel. They tell us how you turned from idols in order to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. You know that God has chosen you when the gospel results in life changes which bear testimony to your faith in Christ. And those life changes can all be summed up by this report that was spreading about the Thessalonians. One simple line. They turned to God from idols. They turned away from their idols. They did an about face. They made a decisive break with their past. Now, you may not have any statues in your home that you bow down and worship. I really hope you don't have any statues in your home that you bow down and worship. But do you serve any of these other modern-day idols, such as money, power, fame, addictions, greed, immorality, another person in your life? Perhaps your own children. You see, anything you hold so dear to your life that you place it before God, that has become an idol in your life. And it's tough to break with idols. They have power over your heart, over your mind, over your life. But fortunately, the process of conversion is not only negative, okay? It is negative. It's the turning away from idols. That would be next to impossible. But it's not only negative, it's also positive. You're turning to God. You're turning to the one true living God who calls you to himself, and it is he who gives you the power to break free from the past. And there's a purpose behind this turning to God from idols. Paul says we turn in order to serve and to wait. And we're going to close on those two things. First of all, we turn in order to serve. There is only one being in the whole universe worth serving and worshiping. And that is the one true living God who created you for himself. He is genuine. He is the real thing. All other gods are counterfeits. They are false idols competing for your attention. Only God can satisfy you. Turn to him. Turn from your idols to him. Serve him alone. And then Paul says we turn in order to wait. He says they turn from their idols in order to serve the living and true God and then also to wait 
for his son from heaven, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Paul uses an an unusual word uh, for wait here. It's a word that includes the idea of patience and trust. In other words, we wait patiently for Jesus in full trust that he will return as he has promised to do. And this holy expectation of Christ's return, this is part of that radical change that takes place in your life. We no longer live for the present. No, we live for the future. Waiting for Jesus is the only proper Christian stance in this world. One out of every 13 verses in the New Testament has reference to Christ's second coming. The message is clear. Don't get too comfortable here. Right? This world is not your home. You're just passing through. And finally, I want you to notice how Paul describes Jesus here. He calls him the Son from heaven. That means that he is the exalted Lord. He calls him the one whom God raised from the dead. That means Jesus is the conqueror of sin and death. He calls him the one who rescues us from the coming wrath. That means he is our Savior and Deliverer. And it's interesting that we've just finished up chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians between last week and this week. And if you look at the names of Jesus in this chapter, here's where you get. First, Paul called Jesus the Messiah, the Christ. Now he calls him the Son of God and then the Rescuer or Savior. Have you ever seen one of those little fish symbols in the back of somebody's car? You ever seen that? We call it an ichthus. It's the Greek word for fish. And it's a symbol for Christ. And the, the, the five Greek letters spell out the word ichthus. And if you take each of those letters, they, in Greek, they're the first letters of these five words. Ready? Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. That's what ichthus means. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Well, what are the five terms God has just given, uh, that Paul has given to Jesus in the first chapter of Thessalonians? He calls him Jesus Christ God's Son, Savior. That's who He is, and He is the one for whom we wait from heaven. So back to our first question, where we started everything today. Has God chosen you for salvation? And you know what? You don't have to wonder. You can know. You can know absolutely. It's a little twofold test Paul gives us here. First, look at your response to the gospel. Have you responded to the gospel message in faith, believing in Jesus, and does your salvation bring you joy? A faithful, believing response is the first sign you've been chosen by God for salvation. And then, not, don't just look at your response, look at the results of the gospel in your life. Do you share your faith in Christ with others? And has the gospel resulted in life changes which bear testimony to your faith in Christ. See, that's how Paul knew. That's what, that's what this whole passage is about. He says, we know that God chose you Thessalonians. Why? And then he tells us all these things. That's how Paul knew, and that's how we can know as well. And so I encourage you to examine your own life. There's nothing more important that you could do today to examine your own life to see if these things are true for you. Four things, right? Faith, joy, witness, Godly change. Are those things true in your life? Because those are the marks of a true believer. And that's how you can know. Has God chosen you for salvation? Let us pray. 
Well, dear Lord, this is a challenging passage for us today, but Lord, it's such a beautiful passage as we see this young church in Thessalonica just uh, just standing up in the midst of persecution with faith and joy and, and, and giving witness to you, Lord, and, and, uh, and then their life backing up the, the, the changes that have been made as they're seeking to live a godly life for you. And Lord, it teaches us what, what, what takes place in our lives when we've truly believed in you. And, and so, Lord, we, we don't understand everything about election. We don't understand exactly how this choosing all takes place, but we believe your word. And, Lord, we want to know. And, Lord, you've told us how we can know. So I pray for each person here that as uh, we look for these signs in our lives, you would give us that assurance that, yes, you are God. You are our Heavenly Father. You have saved us through Jesus, your Son. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they will come to know you even today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.